fathers. They hold such incredible influence over our lives, for good or for evil. My own father imitated Jesus Christ, and he loved me unconditionally from the time I was a baby. This made it very difficult to say a temporary goodbye to him. But I know that some of you have a deeper kind of pain, a pain that causes Father's Day to be a holiday filled with ambivalent feelings. How do you get things right with Dad when your dad didn't act right towards you? This is Truth Encounter, a program challenging you to intimacy with a biblical Jesus. Today, Dave takes us to Second Corinthians chapter 6 for a study titled, Getting It Right with Dad. The father's relationship is one of the most influential relationships that you have. I mean, just stop and think back over your life and think of the influence that people have had on your life. Now, if your daddy was gentle and kind and he carried you on his shoulders and he taught you how to walk and when you were having trouble with your algebra that he was right there helping you with your algebra, when you had troubles with relationships in high school and maybe you just got kicked off the basketball team and you were bawling your eyes out, your dad was right there. I mean, he put his arms around you and he just gave you a great big hug. Then today you're filled with all kinds of praise and thanksgiving. Father's Day is a day that if your dad's already home in glory like mine is, then your eyes filled with tears and you wish you could just pick up the phone and you could talk to him. Or if your dad's right here, you go right over to him and you give him a great big card and maybe you give him a new tie or a new shirt and you express praise and thanksgiving because you had a really great dad. But to be honest with you, on this Father's Day, living in the culture that we live in, the truth of the matter is that some of you had a dad who deserted you. He abandoned you. Some of you had a dad that was dissatisfied with you. In other words, you know, you were the kind of a person that came home with a report card and there was a 92 in art. You had 98 to 99 in algebra and calculus and every science course and the most difficult courses when all your dad could say is, how in the world did you ever get a 92 in art? I mean, the last semester you got a 98 and your dad was always dissatisfied with you. Some of you also had dads that they were drunk half the time. And so they came home on weekends and they would get angry. As a little kid, you couldn't figure out why they were angry and why they would get so upset with you. And so as you sit here today and we mention the word Father's Day, some of you have a lot of ambivalence about that. You're struggling with that relationship. You're not sure quite what to do with it. The very first thing I want you to think about it is whether your dad was divine or demonic. Or it's something in between, which probably most of them were. Every one of us are incredibly impacted by the power of our relationship with our dad. In fact, psychologists and psychiatrists would tell us that that's probably going to be the most formative relationship that all of you have. But you know, the good news today, what I want to really focus your attention on, is that every single one of us on this Father's Day, No matter what kind of an earthly father that you have, no matter what kind of an earthly father you might have had, I want you to know that on this Father's Day that you can connect with a father who is perfect. A father who will always be there for you. A father that will never abandon you. A father that will never let you down. A father that will always be compassionate with you. He is the perfect man. He's the perfect father. He's the one that you really need to connect with. You say, Dave, where do you get this from? You see, incredibly, the the God that's really there, 
The God who created the universe and created you and is the one that's controlling all that's happening in our lives today, the God that's really there chose to reveal himself to human beings as a father. You see, it just so happens he could have just stayed out there in the great whatever's out there beyond the present universe. He could have stayed the great transcendent Lord. But the truth of the matter is when you open up your Bible, the Bible begins to tell a story about a daddy, his daddy's relationship with a child. What I'd like to do is I'd like to just kind of whet your appetite for developing a relationship with your heavenly daddy. And I want you to know that I believe that's probably the most important relationship that you can kindle. I think that the relationship that you develop with your father in heaven and whether or not you let your real father in heaven reveal to you what a father's really like, that's the most important quest, the most important decision, the most important journey that you'll ever go on. The truth of the matter is, some of you, as you think about this relationship with God, and you think about the ins and outs of that relationship, as I've talked with people over the years and had them share with me, what I find is that there's a ton of people that think they're relating to God, but they're not relating to God at all. They're not relating to the God that's there. They're not relating to the God that really reveals himself in the Word of God. They're actually relating to their dad. In other words, the way that their dad treated them It's the way that they think God treats them. And a lot of people just never escape that. They just never get over that. In fact, there's a lot of people that aren't in church today because they're really ticked off at God. And in reality, they're just angry with him. They're upset with him. They feel that he wasn't there for him. And what's really happened is they've never, never met the real God. They've never even considered and gotten to know what the real Father in Heaven is like because all they're relating to is their earthly dad. That's especially true if their earthly dad was a church-going person who was the one that introduced them to this church thing and going to church. And then as they grew older, dad turned out to be saying one thing with his mouth and living another thing with his life. And a whole lot of people have decided, I'm just abandoning this whole thing. That's a tragedy. Because I believe with all my heart that there is an ultimate divine heavenly father. I mean, Jesus didn't teach us to pray for nothing. He said when his disciples said, teach us to pray, our father who art in heaven. Now, I've been taught from the time of a little kid that in the Old Testament, God really didn't reveal himself as a father. That God, it was in the New Testament. In fact, that was one of the great things that Jesus did is he revealed God as the father. As I grow older in my pastoral ministry, it's really interesting. As I really get into the Word of God more and more from myself, and I learn not just to accept what other people say, I find out that often some of the things that I thought were the cardinal truth is really not true at all. The truth of the matter is that God has been revealing himself as a father for a really long time. Turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 4. Because when we talk about God as a father, first of all, we need to talk about a very unique relationship. God presented himself as the father to the children of Israel. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22, it's a very famous time, a very famous confrontation. God has met Moses in the burning bush, and he wants Moses to really get his act together and be obedient to him and to go down to Egypt and set his people free. And as he finishes this conversation, this incredible conversation when God, the ultimate being in the universe, appears to Moses in this burning bush and reveals himself as the great I am that's going to be there for you, look what it says as we come to the close of the passage in verse 22. 
And I'll pick it up with verse 21 so we begin with a paragraph. Then the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, the Lord assumes Moses is going to be obedient to him, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given you the power to do. But I'm going to harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then I, you will say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Now, this is the revelation. Look at how the Lord, this is Yahweh, the personal God for Israel. Look what he says. Moses is to communicate to Pharaoh. He's to say, let my, not let my people go, not let Israel go, but everybody tell me, let my, tell me real loud, let my son go. What is that? This is Father's Day, right? This is Father's Day, and right here in Exodus chapter 4, Yahweh, the ultimate God, is saying to Pharaoh, through his prophet Moses, Moses, I want you to tell Pharaoh, this is my son. Not just any son, but this is my firstborn son. This is the one in the ancient customs who's going to receive the promises. This is the one who is the first fruit of my strength. This is my firstborn son. And I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But if you refuse to let him go, I will destroy your firstborn son. The great conflict is set up. Pharaoh thinks he's God. God says, no, I'm God. Pharaoh says, I've got control over the children of Israel. And Yahweh says, no, no, this is my son, my firstborn son. What's one of the most important things on Father's Day that a dad can do for his child? What's one of the most basic, fundamental things that a dad can do for his child? Well, obviously, the most powerful, most important thing he can do is to provide safety for his kids. It's to provide protection for his kids. If his kids are in trouble, how many of you dads, if your kids are in trouble, don't feel incredible surges inside of you to go and get them and to rescue them? And to fight the bad guys that, that have taken on your kids. I mean, you can mess around with a lot of things, but mess around with a father's son and watch out. Have you ever stopped to think that that's the way the ultimate God, as he begins revealing himself? By the way, this is the very first time in Scripture that God presents himself using the symbolism of a daddy-son relationship. And it's in this kind of context. God's child, God's son, God's firstborn son, the object of his love, is in trouble in Egypt. And God, the daddy in heaven, says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go and I'm going to deliver him. And this is how Israel was born as a nation. They were born in the father-son relationship. But you know, if a father is going to give birth to his son, is going to protect his son, one of the things he also needs to do is not only provide defense against enemies, but he also needs to do just the daily things of providing for his child. What a good daddy does is he carries his sons on his shoulders when they're tired out, and he carries his daughter on, the, on his shoulders when they're tired out. He provides food, he provides clothing. And let's see how the Bible continues to develop this imagery. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 31. We'll turn right to the end of the Pentateuch. Deuteronomy 1, 31. Moses is giving his last speeches to Israel. And he begins these last declarations to Israel by reminding them of their history. Moses is an old man now. He's getting ready to go to glory. And Moses wants to get these people ready to enter the promised land. And interesting enough, he tells them the entire story of their existence. Now, if you look at verse 31, it says, uh, we'll begin with verse 29. Then I said to you, God is recounting his history with his people. Look what he says. 
Do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. And what the terror and what the fear is, is of the, the giants that are in the land of Canaan. Israel is poised on the edge of the Jordan, getting ready to take possession of their gift from their father in heaven, but they're scared about it. And Moses is recounting that history when the previous generation came to this moment of decision. They were scared about it as well. And the Lord God came to them and said, don't be afraid. The Lord your God who was going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt. And it ties us back in what we just learned about Yahweh being the father in giving birth to them through the Red Sea and out of Egypt. As I did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw, now this is what I want to see, the next stage in God's fatherly care for Israel. First of all, he defended them against Pharaoh. He gave birth to them as his firstborn, and he delivered them out of this land of slavery, and now they're in the wilderness. But God's fatherly care didn't end there. Look at the way God presents himself. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a, not as a king, not just as a shepherd, those are other metaphors that are used in the Old Testament, but in this case, as a father carries his son all the way you went until we reached this place. It's a beautiful metaphor. My own life, I remember, you know, being in Wyoming many years ago at Medicine Bow Peak. You can drive up about 2,000 feet below the summit of Medicine Bow Peak. There's some beautiful lakes there in Wyoming. And then you can take a trail. It's all up above this timber line. And it's all just kind of sliding rock, you know, the, like in the Rockies. When you get up above the timber line, there's all these rocks that the water has broken loose. So you have all, it's almost like shale. And the trail winding up through this shale, and Mary's brother John was alive at the time, and his little girl Katie was there, and Josh was probably only about seven years of age, and he was there, and Janae was a little bit smaller, and she was down with mom. And, and I remember as, we, as John and I were climbing up Minnesota Bow Peak, our Katie and Josh couldn't make it. So what did we do? We grabbed a hold of these little kids with their beautiful blonde hair and little tiny kids, and we picked them up, and we put them on our shoulders. I'll never forget, you know, I still have it vividly in my mind, going up this little narrow rock sliding trail, getting up to the very top, and then being able to look just all across those beautiful Rockies. And that's what a daddy does. And I, I remember looking back and seeing John carrying Katie on his shoulders. And I couldn't help but think, you know, here was a dad that had heart problems. In fact, a year after that, less than a year later, he was home in glory with the Lord Jesus but because of his heart problem. But he was a daddy. And he didn't think about his own heart, and he didn't think about the strain upon him. And amazingly, the heart problems are really strange, because John did have the strength at that time to carry Katie to the top of the mountain. But even today, as I read this imagery of God saying, I was a daddy who carried you on my shoulders, I can picture John, my brother-in-law, with his little daughter on his shoulders, coming behind me, climbing up that mountain. What I want every one of you to know today the real God of the universe presented himself in the story of the Old Testament as a God that gathers us like little seven-year-old kids. And when we're too tired to walk and when we can't go on, isn't it incredible that he picks us up, he puts us on his shoulders, and he carries us? That's not just a beautiful poem that you can read at a funeral about the footsteps in the sand. This is the revelation of your daddy in heaven. 
He's saying to his Old Testament people, when you were in the wilderness and there was no way you could sustain yourself, there was no way that you could make it, there was no way that you could even find your way, I was the one who put you on my shoulders. And and Moses goes on and describes how God guided them during the day and he brought them to the right camping places at night and he protected them from the wild animals that would attack them during the night. And Yahweh presents himself that during the 40 years he was a daddy to Israel, he took care of them in the wilderness. Now you say, well, Dave, this is all fine and good, but there's not many of us in this room that are Jewish. And so there's not many of us that are Israelites. So how do we get in on this? And in the Old Testament, it seems that God is, is exclusively the God of Israel. And there's truth in that. But there's also untruth in that. There's a very special way in which God chose to be the father of Israel. But remember, Genesis doesn't start out with Genesis 12 and the Lord called Abraham. Genesis starts out with, and the Lord God made everyone. He made Adam and Eve, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Genesis 1 through 11 is not about Israel, it's about us. It's about all the peoples of the earth. And what that raises in Old Testament thinking is a very important idea. God chose Israel, and God would want to be a special father for Israel, but his purpose was through Israel to become the father of all the nations, of all the people. And that's a very important idea, and that idea comes out periodically in the Scripture. If you turn to Psalm 68, verse 5, we learn a very important idea. Some of you on this Father's Day, it's a very bitter kind of a time, a kind of a bittersweet time. You remember a father that used to be here. Like in my own life, it's like that today. I remember my own dad. I remember all the time that I had with him. And yet he's not here with me today. And so Father's Day, to be honest with you, is a day I kind of just kind of want to run right on by it. You know, I want to kind of forget it. In some, in some parts, that's the way you handle grief. You just kind of run right on by and pretend like it's not happened. Some of you, that grief is just really, really close, and it, it's very near. So this is a difficult Father's Day. Psalm 68.5 is an incredible verse. It says that our Father in heaven is a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. God is in his holy dwelling. He sets the lonely into families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. As we think about getting things right with dad, our real dad, one of the things that I can just begin today to maybe get you going on a journey, I want you to start to think about your relationship with your real dad. The truth of the matter is all of our earthly dads are going to fail us. My earthly dad grew old, and then he passed on. And there wasn't a thing I could do about it. I watched a TV special, a beautiful special that ABC did, kind of, a, kind of a documentary on being a father and what it meant to be a father. And they ended the program with the final chapter of their documentary with fathers saying goodbye to their sons and sons saying goodbye to their fathers. It's just a part of the reality of life. And it means that there's, there's children that are left and we can be left. And that can make us really upset. And on this Father's Day, if there wasn't any ultimate father, then what could we say today? But you know what's so exciting? What's so exciting is I'm not fatherless today. I'm not fatherless today. I can celebrate. I have my real father who will never grow old, 
who will never grow weak, who will never get a disease, who will never be separated from me. He's with me forever and ever and ever. Amen? I want you to, I want you to really let that soak in. And this is the God that we reveal in the Old Testament. God was not only the God of Israel, but God was the father of the fatherless. In the ancient world, orphans would just be thrown on the street. And nobody, often like in a Canaanite culture, who cares? Nobody paid attention to the weak and the helpless. We pay attention to the strong and the, the enfranchised, not the disenfranchised. One of the great revelations of the Old Testament is that the ultimate God of the universe says, no, that's not true. I'm the father. If you see a child that doesn't have a daddy, I'm their daddy. If you see a wife that doesn't have her husband, I want to know I'm her husband. That's what it says. It says, I take the lonely and I put them into a family. God is not just religiously saying, oh yeah, it's nice to say I'm a father to the fatherless, that I'll take the lonely and put them in families. But God actually does that. And I want us to pray that we're going to enter more and more that we're going to provide families for the lonely. You know, it also tells us as we look at the Old Testament Revelation, not only that he's a father to the fatherless and orphans, but he's also, if you turn to Psalm 103, it even spreads out farther. You say, well, I'm not an orphan and I'm not fatherless. How can I be sure that I have an earthly father? How can I be sure that the Lord will be a father to me this morning? Look at Psalm 103, verses 13 through 14. And as you're reading this psalm, this is a psalm on Father's Day. The whole psalm really centers in the God as the Father. It's really the thrust of the psalm. And we could begin at the beginning of the psalm, and I'm going to kind of jump in kind of a climactic verse in the psalms. But as, you, as I whet your appetite for getting things right with your heavenly dad, for really getting this father-son, father-daughter relationship right, Psalm 103 would be an excellent place to begin. And I'm just going to jump into a high point. Look at verse 13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who reverence him. For he knows that we are formed. He remembers that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, and the wind blows, and then he's gone. And in its place, he's remembered no more. But from everlasting to everlasting... You are God. The Lord's love is with those who reverence him. His righteousness with their children's children. What, psalm, what the psalmist tells us, the word compassion is a word that it's usually used for a mother's love. In fact, it, it's from the word womb. And so it usually conjures up the picture of the tremendous compassion and heartfelt tenderness that a mom has towards her child. And often we don't think of a man as having that kind of warmth and that kind of tenderness. But all of us that have gotten to know Christ and have Christ come to live in our life, we've all come to realize that God is the tender, compassionate one. That he creates a womb-like love in our hearts as dads for our kids. And what I want you to see that Psalm 103, is, it is talking about Israel, but it's broadening out because it talks about the fact that he remembers all of us are like the dust. All of us are from the dirt. And the psalm is going back to Genesis 1 through 11, especially the creation story. And Psalm 103, the, the blessed psalmist, is reminding us that the big story of the Old Testament 
It's not just that God has elected Israel and chosen Israel to be his firstborn, but the reason God made a family relationship with Israel is that through Israel, he wants to have a family relationship with all the world. He wants everyone to be renewed and ultimately restored in the daddy-child relationship that he meant to have with us from the beginning of creation. That's why he says that I am the, the God who has compassion. I remember that you're just dust. Now, I want to use this first. I want you to stop and think about it. Deep in your own heart. How many of you, as you think about your relationship with God this week, think about the fact it's often come to your mind that God kind of looks at you when you blow it and says, I remember that they're just human beings. They can fail. And I'm going to still have tenderness towards them. I'm going to have compassion towards them. How many of you have found that that's the relationship we have with God? I'd be willing to wager a whole lot of you have had a relationship with God this week where you said, man, I blew it again. Man, I was dust again. I was just human frailty. Man, that, that habit, that besetting weakness, that problem I have. In fact, man, I've lived three or four days as if God doesn't even exist. I, I haven't even thought about him. And then I do think about him, and the first thing that comes to my mind, boy, God must be ready to zap me with lightning. What kind of a jerk am I? Have you heard some voices like that? You didn't hear the voice of God talking like that. You heard the voice of a dissatisfied father who equated love with performance. In a lot of homes, the basic idea of you perform, you do really good, then daddy's proud of you, and daddy blesses you, and daddy rewards you. But if you fail, then daddy ignores you, or he lets you have it between the eyes, or he just moves on and forgets all about you. When you hear that voice, just forget it. Why keep trying to do this God thing? Why keep trying to relate to him? Look at how stupid I am and what a failure I am and how much I let him down. What I want you to do is remember Psalm 103. As a father has compassion on his children, so the living God has compassion on each one of you who reverence him. And the idea of reverencing is the, is the one that realizes there is this great God. You realize that this invisible relationship with him is one of the most important relationships that you can ever develop and that ultimately he's behind all things and you don't live as if you're God. You don't live as if you're the center of the universe. What I want you to realize in this Father's Day is that when Jesus taught us to pray, our Daddy who's in heaven, our Father in heaven, when Paul told us that the Holy Spirit should have brought in our hearts, causing us to say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father, and use that kind of intimacy with the living God, both Jesus and Paul were building on a story that was an old story. It wasn't a new story. It was an old story. It was the heartbeat of the Old Testament, almost from the very beginning, from the very beginning in the heart of God. But you know, as we, as we think about this Father's Day, as we think about the Old Testament story of Israel being God's firstborn and Israel supposed to be reaching out to all the world and helping everyone to find out that the God of the universe wanted to be a daddy to them, as we think about that great redemptive plan, what happened to it? And the sad thing is that as we study the history of God's father relationship with Israel, that what the Old Testament reveals is that God did give birth to them and God did, did teach them to walk and God did carry them on his shoulders. But Israel from the very, very beginning disobeyed him. 
they were a rebellious son. In fact, Jeremiah the prophet, in fact, we could look at several verses in the prophet, but let's look at Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 26 and 27, because Israel's reveal is a rebel without a cause. I mean, they've got a good dad and mom, and, and this dad has been guiding them and protecting them, and yet they rebel against him. And Jeremiah picks up on this in Jeremiah chapter 2 in a very powerful verse. Look at verse 26. As a thief is disgraced when he's caught, so the house of Israel is disgraced. They, their king, their officials, their priests, and their prophets, they say to wood, you are my father. This is what I want you to see. Here was a people that were born and created by the living God. And Jeremiah is saying, you say wood is your father. That's what idolatry is. You start thinking materialism is your father. In evolution, when it's totally divorced from God, we're basically saying wood is our father. Chance and probabilities, material forces, they generated us. That's what's wrong with that materialistic philosophy. It's idolatry. It's not saying that we're the product, that we're the son of the living God. It's saying that we're the son just of wood, of just stuff. And that destroys us. And the terrible tragedy is that the prophet's revealing that that's what Israel did. It says that they, they worshipped wood and stone. You gave birth to me. You've turned your backs to me and not their faces. Yet when they are in trouble, they say, this is what I want you to see. When they're in trouble, then they say, come and save us. Where then are the gods you made for yourselves? Let them come if they can save you. When you're in trouble, for you have as many gods as you have towns. This is something in this Father's Day that I, I just really want you to think hard about. Do you have a relationship with your daddy in heaven that you ignore him? You don't relate to him? You don't talk to him? You don't let him talk to you in his word? And you don't give him praise? You don't give him thanksgiving? But as soon as you get in trouble, you come running like a deer. You come running to his presence and then you cry out for him to meet your need. That's one of the most devastating things that you can do in your relationship with the Lord. Because there's not integrity in it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't come running back. But I want you to think about the way that you relate to him. You're relating to him just as a daddy that you use. How many of you dads relate to your kids when all that they're doing is wanting to relate to you when they need something from you, when they need money? when they need a job recommendation. The only time they really relate to you is when they have a desperate need and then otherwise they never call you, they never come to visit you, they never spend time with you. How many of you dads like that? That's not a healthy father-son relationship. And the prophets are putting their finger on a very devastating reality of human nature. We can be centered totally on ourselves, thinking about ourselves not relating to our Father in heaven, not really viewing him as the one that's the father of the fatherless and this incredibly compassionate God, the God that wants to bring us joy every day of our life, the God that wants to bring thanksgiving every day of our life. But instead, we worship things. We live for things. And we go cruising through many months in our life just doing our thing, worshiping our idols. But when things go haywire, then we come running back. That's the way Israel treated God in the Old Testament. Now, to be honest with you, as a daddy, as a daddy, I would quit on that kind of a child. That turns me off. That gets me ticked more than anything else. What I want you to begin to, to get into as you're reading the Old Testament, the Old Testament wrestles with the story that you, this father is a great father, but his son is a con artist. 
His son is a liar. His son worships other idols, and he's immoral, and, he, and he's not believing at all in his dad. But as soon as he gets in trouble, he comes running to his dad, and he wants his dad to perform for him. And what the story of the Old Testament is, often God really does perform for him. Often God really does bring great victory. But one of the great crises of the story of the Old Testament is that God said that he would bring great blessing to Israel. One of the prime promises that God made to Israel as the father in heaven, as the daddy in heaven, is that though Israel wasn't such a good son and Israel failed a son, one of the great promises that God made is that the son of David, King David's son, would be the good son, the son of peace the son who fulfilled all the promises. And yet when you look at a psalm like Psalm 89, Psalm 89 recounts all the promises to King David. God recounts all the promises to King David, and the psalmist is rejoicing in that, but he ends the psalm saying, why are we so defeated? Why are we not seeing the promise? And what I want you to see is the story of the ultimate daddy in heaven's relationship with Israel, with the world, focused on a son of David in the Old Testament, ends pregnant. You end the Old Testament scripture and the Davidic sons apparently have disappeared. The Romans are ruling the world. The Greeks ruled the world before that. The Persians before that. There hasn't been a legitimate son of David ruling over a palace in Jerusalem. There hasn't been Israel being a light to the nations in hundreds of years. That's the big conflict in the Bible. And it's one of the things that you live your own life. I'm going to teach you some things on Sunday morning about God and about Christ and about the Holy Spirit. And you're going to learn some things about the church. And you're going to feel like, you know, it just doesn't happen. It just really doesn't happen. And you're going to be in a time in your life where it looks like God's promises aren't coming through. The Israelites that were living during the 400 years between the book of Malachi and the birth of Jesus... We're living those 400 years like, where in the world is this faithful daddy? Where in the world is this daddy that will meet the need of widows and meet the need of the fatherless? Where in the world is he? We're under the boot of Rome. We're under the domination of Rome. That's the big pregnant problem. And the Jews came up with a good solution to it. A bunch of them decided, let's kill the Romans. Let's rise up and defeat the Romans. And Jewish history reveals that they tried to do that several times, two great big times, and they ended up crucified by the thousands, and their temple ended up destroyed. And if you're Jewish, they, if you were a Jewish audience, one of the big questions I would raise as a rabbi for you is, where is the fulfillment of the promise? We need to keep looking for the ultimate son of David that will somehow set things right. And I might motivate you to support Israel today or I might, enjoy, I might endorse that you need to join the Israeli army and make sure they're protected. There are lots of different directions I could go. But I want you to know I've got a much better solution. As you open up to Matthew chapter 1, it says this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. It says the son of Abraham, the son of David. On this Father's Day, Jesus is the one in my own life who solves the problem of the rebel without a cause in my own life. Jesus in the New Testament says, I'm Israel all embodied in me. I'm the son of David who fulfills all the promises. That's why the Jewish leaders crucified him, because they didn't believe him. He made those kind of claims. 
But I want you to know from the depth of my heart on this Father's Day, I have listened to Jesus as the ultimate son of David, and I buy what he said. I accept what he said. I believe that he is the one who was the non-rebellious son. I believe he was the one who totally obeyed his father. And incredibly, what the story of the New Testament tells is that this one and only firstborn, this perfect son, this son that fulfilled all the wishes and dreams of his father, the story of the Bible on this Father's Day is that perfect, perfect son died and gave his life for all the rebellious sons. Isn't that incredible? See, in most of your families, some of you, as you have your Father's Day and you get together with your families, look around your family. Some of you have the really good daughter, the really good son, and then you have the peons who blew everything and rebelled, and some of you have the black sheep. Now, just think about your family structure. What does your goody-two-shoes, the perfect child, do for the rest of the family? Think about that dynamic. And what I want you to realize is how different Jesus is. Jesus was the perfect son. The son that never told a lie, never forgot what his father wanted him to do, never, never disobeyed him. But instead of becoming the self-righteous, full-of-himself person, it says, but God commendeth his love toward us. The daddy in heaven commendeth his love toward us. When we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus is the one that can help us to ultimately get it right with the ultimate heavenly daddy that you need to get it right with. This Father's Day, I want you to express great praise. I want you to remember your earthly dads. If your dad is here with you, for those of us that don't have our dad with us here today, let us tell you, don't let this day go by without telling him that you love him. Don't let this day go by without celebrating him as your dad. But if you've got this ambivalent relationship because your earthly dad wasn't what he was supposed to be, I want you to leave from this service saying, but I can be okay. I can find real intimacy with a dad that really counts. Because no matter what my earthly dad was like, I've got my real dad. Some of you that are adopted, on this day, If you say deep in your soul, man, I wish my own dad would have been there, my physical dad. Man, I just wish he would have been there. Why did he let me go? Why didn't my mom let me go? You know what I told you today? The dad that really counts didn't desert you and didn't abandon you and didn't decide he didn't want you. That's what I want you to get. I just told you a story where the dad that really counts has wanted you from the beginning of time. He wanted you so bad, he gave his firstborn son to get all the barriers forever removed so that you could be his child forever and ever and ever. Please don't let the brokenness of physical relationships and human relationships keep you from finding the enduring, maturing, beautiful relationship that we can have with our ultimate daddy in heaven. And I'm thankful that Jesus didn't tell a new story, a new idea. I'm thankful that he told a story that had been true in his father's heart forever and ever and ever. And it's going to be true forever and ever and ever. Get it right with your heavenly dad. Make it your life commitment. My goal today on this Father's Day is I want to spend the rest of my life getting close 
to my real dad, my daddy in heaven. And as I get right with him, then I'm able to get healing from some of the brokenness in other relationships. I'm able to be forgiving. I'm able to be merciful. But I'm able to find incredible blessing in my Father's arm. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask you that you would help us to get it right with our Heavenly Dad, you as our Heavenly Dad. I'd ask you, Lord, that you would help my brothers and sisters to join me in really opening up our hearts to what it means for you to be our daddy in heaven. Help us to read both the Old and New Testaments as the story of a daddy's love for us and for his people. We'd ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would use what we've learned from what Moses taught us and what David taught us and then ultimately what Matthew taught us about Jesus being the ultimate son of David. I pray, Lord, that it would pour the good gift of grace and compassion and mercy into our lives. And I pray that your voice inside of our mind would take over the other voices that sometimes tell us lies about our worth and about how you love us And I'd ask you, Lord, that the power of your word would set us free from that deception. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that in Christ we can get it right with you forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.